Chapter Thirteen of Tangled Trails, a Western Detective Story by William McLeod Rain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Tangled Trails, a Western Detective Story by William McLeod Rain. Chapter Thirteen, Always Phyllis. Chuck Ellis, reporter testified that on his way home from the press club on the night of the twenty-third he stopped at an alley on glenarm street to strike a light for his cigar just as he lit the match he saw a man come out from the window of a room in the paradox apartments and run down the fire escape it struck him that the man might be a burglar so he waited in the shadow of the building the runner came down the alley toward him he stopped the man and had some talk with him. At the request of the district attorney's assistant, he detailed the conversation and located on a chart shown him the room from which he had seen the fellow emerge. "'Would you know him again?' "'Yes.' "'Do you see him in this room?' Ellis, just off his run, had reached the courtroom only a second before he stepped to the stand now he looked around surprised at the lawyer's question his wandering eye halted at lane there he is which man do you mean the one on the end of the bench at what time did this take place let me see about quarter past ten maybe which way did he go when he left you toward fifteenth street that is all the lawyer turned briskly toward kirby mr lane will you take the stand every eye focused on the range rider as he moved forward and took the oath the scribbling reporters found in his movements a pantherish lightness in his compact figure rippling muscles perfectly under control there was an appearance of sunburnt competency about him, a crisp confidence born of the rough-and-tumble life of the outdoor West. He did not look like a cold-blooded murderer. Women found themselves hoping that he was not. The jaded weariness of the sensation-seekers vanished at sight of him. A man had walked upon the stage, one full of vital energy. The assistant district attorney led him through the usual preliminaries. Lane said that he was by vocation a cattleman, by avocation a rough rider. He lived at Twin Buttes, Wyoming. One of the reporters leaned toward another and whispered, By Moses, he's the same Lane that won the rough riding championship at Pendleton and was second at Cheyenne last year. "'Are you related to James Cunningham, the deceased?' asked the lawyer. "'His nephew.' "'How long since you had seen him, prior to your visit to Denver this time?' Three years.' "'What were your relations with him?' The coroner interposed. "'You need answer no questions tending to incriminate you, Mr. Lane.' A sardonic smile rested on the Rough Rider's lean brown face. "'Our relations were not friendly,' he said quietly. 
a ripple of excitement swept the benches what was the cause of the bad feeling between you a few years ago my father fell into financial difficulties he was faced with bankruptcy cunningham not only refused to help him but was the hardest of his creditors he hounded him to the time of my father's death a few months later his death was due to a breakdown caused by intense worry you felt that mr cunningham ought to have helped him my father helped him when he was young what my uncle did was the grossest ingratitude you resented it yes and quarreled with him i wrote him a letter and told him what i thought of him later when we met by chance i told him again face to face you had a bitter quarrel yes that was how long ago three years since in that time did your feelings toward him modify at all my opinion of him did not change but i had no longer any feeling in the matter did you write to him or hear from him in that time no had you any expectation of being remembered in your uncle's will none whatever answered kirby smiling even if he had left me anything i should have declined to accept it but there was no chance at all that he would yet when you came to town you called on him at the first opportunity yes on what business i reckon we'll not go into that johns glanced at his notes and passed to another line of questioning you have heard the testimony of mr and mrs hull and of mr ellis is that testimony true except in one point it lacked only three or four minutes to ten when i knocked at the door and mrs hull opened it you're sure of that sure i looked at my watch just before i went into the paradox apartments will you tell the jury what took place between you and mrs hull soon as i saw her i knew she was scared stiff about something so was hull he was heading for a bedroom so i wouldn't see him the slender well-dressed woman in the black veil sitting far over to the left leaned forward and seemed to listen intently all over the room there was a stir of quickened interest how did she show her fear no color in her face eyes dilated and full of terror hands trembling and mr hull he was yellow color all gone from his face looked as though he'd had a shock what was said if anything i asked mrs hull where my uncle's apartment was that gave her another fright at least she almost fainted did she say anything she told me where his rooms were then shut the door right in my face i went upstairs to apartment twelve where your uncle lived where my uncle lived 
I rang the bell twice and didn't get an answer. Then I noticed the door was ajar. I opened it, called, and walked in, shutting it behind me. I guessed he must be around and would be back in a few minutes. Just exactly what did you do? I waited by the table in the living room for a few minutes. There was a note there signed by S. Horikawa. We have that note. What happened next? Did your uncle return? No, I had a feeling that something was wrong. I looked into the bedroom and then opened the door into the small smoking room. The odor of chloroform met me. I found the button and flashed on the light. Except the sobbing breath of an unnerved woman, no slightest sound could be heard in the courtroom but Lane's quiet, steady voice. It went on evenly, clearly, dominating the crowded room by the drama of its undramatic timber. My uncle was sitting in a chair, tied to it. His head was canted a little to one side, and he was looking up at me. There was a bullet hole in his forehead. He was dead. The veiled woman in black gasped for air. Her head sank forward, and her slender body swayed. "'Look out!' called the witness to the woman beside her. Before Kirby could reach her, the fainting woman had slipped to the floor. He stooped to lift her head from the dusky planks, and the odor of violet perfume met his nostrils. "'If you'll permit me,' a voice said. The cattleman looked up. His cousin, James, white to the lips, was beside him, unfastening the veil. The face of the woman in black was the original of the photograph Kirby had seen in his uncle's room the one upon which had been written the words, Always, Phyllis. End of chapter 13